Right now, the bread of life is about to be fed to you. God's spirit, his words, his spirit and life, Jesus said. So enjoy the good feast of the bread of life through a very gifted teacher, communicator of the word, David Mickelson, today. Welcome, David. Welcome. That was a great little video. I like the jaunty guitar riff with that. That was good. I wish I could just hear that all the time as I go through life. Just being very careful with your decimals, by the way, if you give with your phone. I was, <laughs> I was depositing a check the other day, and it was $400, and the ATM screen came up. Are you sure you're depositing $40,000? I was like, oh, I wish, but no. So just be very careful with that. I can't promise if you accidentally give 40000 that my dad would give it back. So I can't promise. Probably uh, most, uh, uh, most of the people watching, it's, it's at least 20 people, so I want to say hi to you. You guys probably can't wave at them with that like that, but we're all, there we go. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. In our, we have a secret new song lingo from we're all one family in Christ, right? Amen. Amen. I have to tell you, I know I'm smiling right now, but I do feel a little angry right now. Um, I feel angry at the enemy. We should all be able to meet together in safety. And it's not okay that this is happening. And I do think it's appropriate to have righteous indignation at the enemy for this attack. I believe the enemy is trying to make 2020 a bad year. He's trying to kill, steal, and destroy as much as he can this year because he knows that God has good plans for 2020. He knows that God is about to unleash warfare, the likes of which hell has never experienced. And he knows that his time is short. So, while the world is dismayed, we aren't. Because we've been given the weapons we need to fight and win this battle. Amen. Okay, I know this is wildly inappropriate. I need to share a couple spoof headlines with you. (laughs) I know the groans. Jim Wolfe is watching and he's going to laugh at least. This is from the Babylon Bee. Nations, nerds, wake up in utopia where everyone stays inside, sports are canceled, social interaction forbidden. (laughs) There's one. Drug cartels switch to producing hand sanitizer. (laughs) And the best one. Did you see the latest coronavirus numbers? 100% of the world still under God's control. Amen. Let's get to the Word. We didn't coordinate the Psalm 91 theme, but that's where I wanted to preach today. And I know I mentioned that I would be uh, preaching on the um, armor, but we'll get to that next time. I want you to pay attention as I read some excerpts from Psalm 91 and see if you can discern the key to receiving the blessing described in this passage. Okay, are you ready? Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High... Oh, different... Different versions in my notes and on the screen. Okay, I'll read the screen. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Does everyone know what a rampart is? I believe we have a picture of a rampart on the 
um, screen there, or we can get that. Um, a rampart is a wall, and they had a mighty rampart. There it is. There's still some remains of the rampart in Jerusalem. For those of you watching at home, you can Google this. The writer of this psalm may have been within sight of this very wall while he put quill to parchment. And so the Lord is that to you. That's what a rampart is. Uh, Keep going. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Verse 9. If you say, the Lord is my refuge. Oh, I forgot to read from the screen. And you make the most high your dwelling, then no harm will overtake you. And verse 14, I believe. Because he loves me, says the Lord, or she, I will rescue him, I will protect him, because he acknowledges my name. Is there anything else? Yes. <laughs> and I think I have a little bit more there. Is that it for the screen? Okay, I have right here. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen? So... There are different answers to the question I posed. What is the key in this passage to receiving the blessing promised? But um, who came up with it? You think you have an idea from that? Anybody? Okay, you're all waiting for me to tell you. That's okay. (laughs) Making God your refuge. Verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. Verse 9, if you say, the Lord is my refuge. Now, a refuge isn't much good if you only pop in for a few minutes during an attack and then go back out where you're vulnerable to the enemy, right? I have to tell you this. I have this friend. I know that's surprising. I do. He's not imaginary, I don't think. Uh, He doesn't go here, so don't try to figure out who this is because they wouldn't like that based on what I'm going to tell you right now. Um, His parents are actual survivalists and they have a real bunker out in the woods. No joke. So how do I know that? Well, I was over at his house about six months ago, and uh, they didn't. I was over in one part of the room, and they were over there, and he was talking to his parents about their bunker, and I was like, bunker. And I kind of turned and started, you know, how you kind of listen to a conversation, and um, they were talking about this. I don't know why they were talking about it, but it came up. And I was really interested. A bunker, really? Because that's something you see on movies and YouTube, maybe, but in real life. Um, but yeah, they have an honest to goodness bunker. And uh, I don't know. I think that if I had a bunker, it would be one of those things where I would get in there and slam the door to just in time while these hordes of, I don't know, infected people trying to get in. (laughs) Then I'd be stuck in there. I'd be like, I forgot the TP or I forgot the battery for the remote. And now I'm stuck. I can't watch TV. So I feel like it wouldn't even be worth it for me. Something would go wrong. But anyway... As I'm kind of eavesdropping, his parents saw that I was paying attention, and uh, especially his dad got this really uncomfortable look on his face. And, you know, they're talking about the secret bunker, and I'm sitting there like, huh? (laughs) Um, So I actually couldn't help myself. I started laughing, and I said, okay, all right, you guys better not talk about this in front of me, you know. And his mom looks at me very nicely and says politely, well, you know, it's actually okay if you know about the secret bunker because we have lots of AR-15s to defend it. <laughs> yeah, 
I was like, what do you even say to that? I didn't say what I was thinking. I was like, well, that sounds like a challenge. We'll see about that lady, but no. But I do want to be friends with these sorts of people because during a real crisis, you can try to mooch off of them. Like uh, yesterday, I was at the store and saw all the empty shelves and all the panicky people. So I thought about that bunker, and I texted my friend as a joke. I was like, so what was the address of your parents' bunker again, just out of curiosity? And he wrote back that he and his wife and kids were already hunkered down in there, and they locked his parents out. So I'm pretty sure he's joking, I think. But if you think about it, seriously, what would be the point of a bunker if you stayed there for just a few minutes at the start of the crisis, and then you got bored and went back out into the world? There would be no point, right? If you have this amazing resource... In time of trouble, and you neglect it, or only make on again, off again use of it, it doesn't do you much good. So think about that in this context of verse 1 of Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. To dwell means to remain, to abide. Verse 9, if you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. God, as our refuge, is meant to be a lifestyle in so-called bad times as well as good. And I could go through the whole scripture and build this case if we had time. The next one I would talk us through would be Psalm 23, where all the protection and blessing and favor comes to who? The sheep who is near the shepherd. I will not fear, for you are with me. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the same theme. So this begs the question for us, especially in times like these, but for all times, how do we make God our refuge and dwell there? Good question. Thank you, Dave. First, you have to be willing. His presence is for those who want him. He can do whatever he wants, but generally speaking, it's for those who want him, and he won't force himself on those who can't be bothered. You remember the Savior lamented, Matthew twenty-three thirty-seven, over the city of Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. Look, your house is left to you desolate. So make no mistake. He longs to be our refuge. His arms are wide open. His eyes have a twinkle in them as he looks at you. And his smile is huge. We need to be willing. He's willing. In fact, the more willing we are, the better. Paul wrote, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Well, the greatest gift of all is the Lord himself. And we ought to eagerly desire that father-son, father-daughter relationship. No one who eagerly desires him will fail to find him. Sometimes, as you probably know, if you're anything like me, we don't eagerly desire as we ought to all the time. Often, when we're being honest, Christians confess they feel a little dull and wonder, why don't I eagerly desire him? I know that's not everybody, but it's, it's, it's for some people. I know This is Christians talking. I know I eagerly desire other things, 
even trivial things. That the light would turn green. Have you ever sat there and be like, come on, turn green. That the police would pull over that really bad driver. That the Lord would smite them. These are the things that we eagerly desire as Christians. <laughs> Sorry. I can't help it. I'm always just going to be me, even during serious times. <laughs> if you ever do wonder, why am I not hungrier for His presence? Ask Him to make you hungry. There's always a place you can start with God. He actually loves our questions. And He's always willing to work with us where we're at. But we have to be willing. That's point one. Next. We keep our minds fixed on Him. And I think I have a verse, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on you. Because they trust you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. King James says, everlasting strength. So we all know what happened to Peter when he saw Jesus walking on the water. There were huge waves and the wind was howling, but Jesus stood before him. So he clambered over the gunwale and took a few steps and he started sinking. He looked away from the Lord. This is from the message, Matthew 14, 29. Jumping out of the boat, Peter walked on the water to Jesus. So far, so good. But then he looked down at the waves churning beneath his feet. He lost his nerve and started to sink. Whoops. Drops like a stone. Lord, save me. I don't really blame him. I think it's pretty cool he tried. I'm pretty sure I would have been sitting in the boat, staying nice and dry and feeling just fine where I was. I'm not that impetuous, but I love being around impetuous people. Almost as much as I like being around bunker people. Impetuous people are just so entertaining. They're always surprising. But I don't blame him because the sea can make you feel real small real fast. A few years back when I was commercial fishing, fishing in uh, Bristol Bay, Alaska, we got word over the radio that a storm was coming in. So we had to turn around and it's called buck the tide. You're going against the tide toward the shore. So you're going real slow. And as we headed towards an inlet, the storm started coming in. And I'll tell you, just the beginning of that storm that hit us that night was enough for me. It was just the three of us in this little fishing boat. It was enough for me. And that was just the beginnings of it. So it's understandable that Peter grew frightened, right? Any of us would have felt that temptation. But the story is there for us to learn something. So here's the point. In the presence of the king, anything trying to compete with him is a lie. Jesus says, you're fine. I'm here. And the wind and the waves say, you're not fine. We're here. Only one of them can be correct. Hint, it's Jesus. But you have to fix your heart on him. That means any feeling of fear will be taken captive and brought into obedience. While Jesus was more real to Peter than the storm, that's what he experienced. He experienced Jesus. While the wind and the waves became more real than Jesus, that's also what he experienced. He experienced the wind and the waves. We're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> so, real quick, midway recap. What have we talked about so far? This is the teacher of me coming out. One, this virus we're hearing so much about is from the enemy, not from God. 
And God does not want you or anyone else to suffer or die. Jesus Christ is the perfect representation of the Father. Colossians 1.5 says the Son is the image of the invisible God. John 5.19, the Son only does as he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus never gave anybody a disease. He only healed. The Lord's will for you is health and life. His promise, according to Psalm 91, according to Psalm 23, according to the whole Bible, is to protect and heal His people who trust in Him. Amen? Okay. So, when we talk about God protecting His people, it's urgent that we never judge anyone who gets sick at any time, whether there's a virus in the news or not. None of us knows anyone's journey with God or and we don't know what God may have planned to turn something to His glory. You remember this? Who sinned? The disciples asked about a blind man, and Jesus said, no one. This happened so that God may be glorified. And then He healed him. So it's not our place to judge. But for you, for your family, I urge you to read Psalm 91 as often as you can. Read it as if it's true for you. Declare it as if your words have power, because they do. Examine your heart and ask, am I dwelling in his peace and presence? We know when we're not living from faith. And trust that God will keep you and your family safe. All right, change of, change of direction here. Can you take practical measures and still be living from faith? Can you even follow the recommendations that are coming from elected officials and experts, and still be living from faith. I don't know about you, but there's almost no one I trust less than someone the media tells me is an expert. So my first instinct is to question. My impression so far, though, is that the experts, doctors, and scientists on the vice president's task force are sincere and wise. But many Christians are, many Christians are wondering, is it giving into fear to respond in any way to all this news? I know some of you have probably been thinking about that, right? What is fear and what is just being smart? So I want to briefly cover that. And I want to remind us of the story of Christ when he was being tempted by the devil. And the devil took him to the highest point of the temple and told him, essentially, throw yourself down. God will protect you. Remember that story? And he quoted scripture. The devil quoted scripture to Jesus. Uh, as if Jesus would fall for that. He said... Doesn't the Bible promise that the Lord will command his angels concerning you so that you won't even strike your foot against a stone? And what did Jesus say? He said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. How is this relevant? Jesus knew it was wrong to behave recklessly and then to presumptively try to force God to intervene. God is not a well-trained dog to perform tricks at our command. He'll keep us safe as we try to stay safe. But if any of us climbs a high building and jumps off, very likely we will face the consequences very quickly. In the same way, we ought to use our brains that God gave us to do all we can within reason to avoid getting sick. And what we're being told by the best doctors and scientists in the country is good advice fully within the bounds of Christianity. Just as locking your front door at night or wearing a seatbelt or looking both ways when you cross the street are consistent with faith-filled living. Doing what you can to stay healthy is consistent with faith-filled living. Now, what about these crowds and what about this panic? 
If you're at the store and there's only one or two items on the shelf, we ought to leave them for someone else. The next person that comes along might not even be saved, and that thing might be all they have. But you have Christ, and he'll take care of you. If you're at the store and there's plenty of an item that you want, and you'd like full cupboards in the midst of all this, you are well within your Christian freedom to buy whatever. And if you doubt that, read the story of Joseph, where the turning point in his life was he prophesied and interpreted a dream to um, the Lord's command to Pharaoh was stock up. If you're young and healthy, you should consider doing some shopping or running some errands for someone older, if they'll let you. Sometimes they'll be like, no, no, don't do that. (laughs) Okay, two things can be true at the same time. You can take practical steps to keep yourself safe, and you can be living free of fear. It's not for you and me to live in fear, right? Let the devil do that. Indeed, he should be shaking in his fake angel wings. But you and I have great times ahead of us. All right, so up till now, we've been speaking defensively, but as I said at the beginning, this year, actually every year, is meant for the church militant to go on offense. God is declaring unrestricted warfare on our enemy, and we were meant to be in the front lines. This year, 2020, is not going to be the year of the coronavirus. 2020 is the year of Jesus Christ, in your life, in America, and the world. Did you know that in the midst of a crisis, God's people are called to stand in the gap and bring the will of heaven down to earth? In Genesis, God was willing to save the evil cities of Sodom and Gomorrah for just five righteous souls. Now, I would go out on a limb and hazard a guess that there are at least five righteous souls in this room right now and more watching online. That means we here... Think about it. We here, just us, are enough to stand in the gap and save this country from disaster. That's how much God loves you and me. For our sake, God would save our city and our land. How much more for the millions and millions of Christians who call Jesus Christ Lord in the United States. When the Lord makes his reign fall, for your sake, it also blesses your neighbors. You see? You're bringing blessing to those around you. Here's how the Word of God describes our role in the midst of a national crisis. As I believe David Grant mentioned this. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, 15. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. In this place. What's that? Back then it was the temple of God. We know from since the resurrection in the New Testament, we are the temple of God. So that means any prayer offered from your body, and I'm guessing most of the prayers you offer are going to be from your body, well, he will be attentive to those prayers. Okay, that's good, right? We need to look at a great passage in Scripture to see who we are and what role we are intended to play when a nation faces a giant. 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath. Here we go. We're getting close here, people. Uh, What's happening at the opening of this chapter is the Philistines are the enemies of Israel, 
and they have a nine-foot warrior who can lift and wield this spear. It's like 12 feet long. It has an iron point that's like 15 pounds. If you can imagine yourself lifting there's, iron, there's an iron point 12 feet away and you're holding the other end and you can just wield that. That's actually pretty crazy. But he could do it with one hand. And uh, he was setting himself up against Israel and Israel's God. And several times a day he would come out and taunt Israel and Israel's God. So that's the context. And this unsuspecting shepherd boy shows up. He's in his late teens. He's just there to deliver food to his brothers. And he starts talking to the full-grown men. Verse 23 of that chapter. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Okay, I'm going to briefly cover this. There are three kinds of people in this field. Three kinds of people. What are the three kinds of people? Think about that for a second. Three kinds. Okay, I bet you have an answer. Well, I wonder if your answer is as vivid as the descriptors in one of my all-time favorite Trump tweets. This one from 2013. Do we have to? Here we go. This is good. I would like to extend my best wishes to all, even the haters and losers, on this special day, September 11th. Well, whether you love him or not so much, he has a way with words. And they stick in your brain. So, I was thinking of this. It came to my mind on its own as I was reading this. Because I was like, what are the three kinds of people? Oh, yeah. What did the president say? Okay. So, just for fun. Did you feel the tension rise a little bit in the room when I brought up the president? Just relax. You can, I'm not going to offend anybody. This is all just for fun. I'm trying to wake everybody up. So, all right. You have the haters. That's the Philistines. They hate God. They hate God's people, right? So far, so good. Okay. Then you have the next group. Sounds harsh. I know. But these Israelites weren't winners. So, you know, these are God's people, though. I know we're laughing, but it's actually kind of sad. They were supposed to be the heroes of the story. They were meant to win. They had all the power of God behind them. And yet none of them knows the power of God. And none of them is even aware of who they are or willing to take any responsibility. Now, even though this was 3,000 years ago, I won't actually call them the L word. Let's just say they weren't acting like winners on that day. Okay? They just didn't know who they were yet. Now, some of these men would later become the 30 um, mighty men, and they would go on to do bigger things than David did. So, they have potential, right? They're just not there yet. Okay, the third kind of person in this, on this field is the teenage boy. He stands alone. He's the only one in this category. Now, following Trumpian categories, he's a winner. A huge winner. Big league. Okay. So, you know what happens. Goliath jeered and despised him, but David said, verse 45, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And he did it. He ran to do it, straight at Goliath. What's the point for us? David took responsibility. He didn't say, someone else will handle this. I'm just here to deliver cheese and crackers to my bros. What can I do? 
not my problem. If anyone there had the right to say it's not my problem, it was the teenage boy. However, as a winner, he knew what a difference one person armed with the Spirit can make in the midst of a crisis. As a winner, he knew what a difference one person can make in the midst of a crisis. Armed with the Spirit. That's the key. You guys know Reinhard Bonnke, most of you. He recently went to be with Jesus. But while he lived, he founded a group called Christ for All Nations. He would routinely have over a million people turn up in Africa for his outdoor meetings. You can play some of those, some of the, the visuals. We're just going to do the visuals while I talk about him. At great expense, uh, his organization purchased a tent that could hold 500,000 people. And it was useless because too many people showed up. Uh, his organization kept careful track of decisions for Christ and recorded some 76 million people, mostly in Africa, over the course of Bonke's life. A real hero of the faith, right? And guess what he credited in his autobiography, Living a Life of Fire, as the catalyst for his effectiveness? Anybody know? The Spirit, we got some good guesses. It was prayer, which is right along the line with what you're saying. He was given a very clear vision of his ministry as a gigantic cruise ship trying to navigate a small African river. And the river was too small for the ship. And a voice told him in the dream, every prayer will widen the river by one inch. And so they got people praying. All over the world they got thousands and tens of thousands praying regularly. And there were miracles. Blind seeing, lame walking, hostile dictators opened the doors. Kings got saved all over Africa. And there was always money. There was always protection. Now, each person could have prayed as if their prayer was the last inch that made the ship navigable. This is a wonderful example for how we should think and pray in the midst of a national scare all throughout this great year, 2020. Did you know that you... Yes, you are called to be a giant slayer in prayer this year. Each one of us, and I include myself, I'm preaching to me, each one of us should pray as if our prayers are the ones which will make the difference in saving this country and the world from the coronavirus and from hell. No Christian should be a loser and think my prayers don't matter. I don't matter. What can I do? You are called to save those around you and stand in the gap during this crisis. And we're going to hit back so hard against what the enemy is trying to do. He's going to regret this attack. Each one of us is called to turn off cable news, get off of Facebook, and pray like our prayers are the ones that will turn this around. Fast and pray like it all comes down to you. I'm preaching to myself again. You stand in the gap. You be one of the five righteous souls. You be Moses, whose prayers saved two million Israelites from instant death. It's you. As we said, the president has named today a national day of prayer. And in that spirit, I'm going to lead us in a short prayer right now in closing. We can uh, black out that video. I ask you to join with me in your heart with this attitude in mind. That you're the one who's going to make a difference right now. Lord Jesus, defeat this virus and save your people. We say to this virus, you come against us with sword and spear and javelin. 
But we come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day we cut off your head and feed your carcass to the birds. This day is the day that the armies of the living God stand in triumph in the field of battle. We declare that you, Lord, are our refuge and our fortress, that no pestilence or plague will come near us, and we stand in the gap on behalf of of the lost, that the rain of health and protection you give to us will fall on them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. of God on that. I did too. So close your eyes for a moment. If you're not right with God, this is your day. Don't wait another day. Raise your hand if you would like me to pray that you would for you to be right with God. If you're not right with God right now. Raise your hand up. Okay? For the sake of this one person with their hand up, pray this with me, church. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive all my sins. Wash me and cleanse me. Set me free. I receive you as my Savior. And I receive you as my Lord. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm on my way to heaven because I have Jesus Christ in my heart. Amen. Young man, we want to celebrate with you. Sir, stand up. We want to stand up right now. We want to celebrate with you. We've all done this. We've all done this. Congratulations. Welcome to the family. Born again. Yeah. We have a bag of goodies here for you. Lots of good things there for you. So, my friends, I want to take about five minutes to um, talk about where we're going from here. And I want to start with about three questions. So if you have a question, raise your hand. I have some questions to answer if you don't, but if you do, we want to... Okay, I'm not seeing any questions right now, but... We're not victims, and we're not even in a maintenance mode. The wineskin is going to be slightly adjusted, but it's going to make an even greater flow of the new wine of the Spirit and the advancement of the kingdom in our city and in our world through who we are. I mean, we just took Fort Worth, Texas. What can I say? (laughs) Power of one, you guys. I want to say that... uh, the secret to fighting and, and neutralizing fear is not just faith. Faith's important. Psalm 91, and David preached so well. Faith is so important. But uh, if I had my three-year-old over to my house to go swimming, I wouldn't say to him, go ahead and go swimming, Luke. My three-year-old grandson, um, go ahead and, and go swimming, Luke, while I make an important Facebook post. I'll be with you in a minute, and then I'm going to trust God that you're going to be safe out there. 
Faith is really important. Would you agree? We fight the good fight of faith every day. Faith's our shield. But common sense is also important. We, we, we do not criticize and call people, our brothers and sisters, um, that respond differently than we are. We always treat everybody with love, acceptance, and forgiveness. We are prepared to face any, any difficulty as a nation because we are already living our values by faith. We're ready. We don't have to change our values. We're ready. For it. We're ready to realize and recognize that no matter what we face personally in the midst of the days ahead, whether this season be a few hours or a few months, we are recognizing that all things really do work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. And that Jesus Christ in His resurrection power, His resurrection presence, and His resurrection love and care for us is always acting into our personal lives and into our homes. Always and evermore. Always. It's not, He's not bothered or hindered or inhibited by anything that gets in our way that annoys us or bugs us. Not at all. He is acting fully into our present situation. Fully. With no inhibitions. He is infinitely involved. He is always, always, always your greatest and most important circumstance. How are you doing with the circumstances? Your biggest circumstance is always Jesus. We respect Bethel Church in Redding, California in their canceling of all services except for their internet church. And they're, they're not sending their teens or, or their um, students on their mission all over the world in March. Is that a lack of faith? No, they have, they're the epitome of faith. They have a lot of faith. But they also have common sense. We respect Ryan Roden at Living Waters in his closing down of his church services in this season. And Bethel Vista. Somebody of God. We respect that. I'm not going to, I'm already going too long. I need to, to figure out a way to make this shorter. But here's, here's what I want to point out. And that is that um, I'm not an expert on any of this. But I am somewhat of an expert on humbly seeking God and trying to do what he says to do in my own journey and whoever he calls me to serve. I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying I've pastored a long time. And I've told my sixth graders when I taught sixth grade, there's 31 opinions in this room. There's 30 students and one teacher. 31 opinions. Guess which one I go by. I'm influenced by other opinions. I, I think about people's advice. But I am faithful and confident in what God is calling us to do. And I hope that you'll understand that. And if you, if you don't agree or don't think, you think something different, just forgive me. Love, acceptance, and forgiveness <laughs> towards Saint Dan. I know there's only 5,000 people that have died so far, globally, with this. But the truth is, 
that the thing that stopped it in China was a government-mandated quarantine. Italy didn't have it till just recently. They did not have enough hospitalization. And the issue isn't, isn't the very, very minuscule percentage of people that die. That's not the point. The point is that the people, the small percentage, of very, very small percentage of people where it does turn into pneumonia, there's not enough hospital beds. There's not enough intubators. And when we are careful, we want to not just protect ourselves or think in terms of, well, I could, I'm going to be okay because I'm under 60. Or I'm going to be okay because I have faith that I'm over 60. But the issue is trying to help people that are older. I, I don't want there to be any problems in, at Providence or at um, Asante with not enough help for people that need air. Common sense, not fear. Joseph stored up. Stored up. That was practical common sense and he was fully kingdom. Do you agree? Okay. We are going to develop adventures in internet church. For a season. Okay? We are going to say, normally our April, April is a month off from small groups. We are going to say, we're going to suspend that. Go ahead and have your small groups if you want to have them through April. You know, I'm sorry leaders, we usually have a rest in April, but we recognize that the Christian experience does, is a call to community. So we, we are, we are going to say we're not going to officially suspend any groups. Um, I'm not going to suspend any groups except for the groups my wife leads. Because I, my pri- priority is for protecting her. I personally am going to minimize involvement in community. Week by week, I'm not going to say absolutely not, but I am not involvement. But I am going to say that there's going to be adjustments for me for a season, maybe a month, maybe two months, and we're going to roll with it. You're going to roll with it. I'm going to roll with it. We're all going to roll with it. We're going to focus on Jesus, and we're going to have faith, and we're going to have common sense. They are not mutually exclusive dynamics. Check our Facebook page uh, at Facebook New Song Medford and our newsongmedford.com. We will help you if you do not have, um, if you need help accessing with the internet. We're going to have pastoral care, prophetic, and all the stuff of our ministries through our internet church. And it's going to be awesome. So, Jesus said, in this world, There will be tribulations. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So we are going to be the epitome of joy in the midst of grim. Okay? I can't say it better than David did, so I'm not going to try. Let's stand up.
Jesus, thank you for our wonderful time of worship today and our wonderful time in the Word today. And as we move forward, our anticipated plan is to do just what we did this Sunday, next Sunday, just keep going, just like we are for the time being. But we are purposing ourselves to be part of the answer in our city by isolating, recognizing it's not fear, but concern for others. If we can keep, keep, keep from passing it on to somebody else, this is a good thing in Jesus Christ. And we're going to step up and do our best to be fully imparting the experience and presence, attitude, heart, and words, and anointing, atmosphere-changing anointing in every, every place we find ourselves. The atmosphere-changing anointing of Jesus. We commit ourselves to not being victims and not having a maintenance mode. We pray for our evangelists to maximize the potential for this season for people thinking about serious things in their lives. And we praise you, Jesus, for the opportunities of this hour. In your name we pray. God bless you. Keep the smile on your face, the song in your heart, a dance in your step, moving forward with wisdom. Thank you.